The media business, it is changing in so many different ways. And I'm so excited today because we are here with National Public Radio. I'm Michael Krigsman. I am an industry analyst and the host of CXO Talk. And we're speaking today on episode number 254, 254 of CXO Talk. We're speaking with Thomas Yelm, who is the chief digital officer of NPR. Right now, there is a tweet chat taking place. Go to Twitter using the hashtag CXO Talk, and you can join in and you can ask Tom questions directly. And I want to say thank you to Livestream for supporting CXO Talk in just a great way. Go to livestream.com slash CXO Talk, and they will give you a discount <laughs> on their plans. So thank you to Livestream. Tom Yelm, how are you? And thank you for being here. I'm very well. Thank you, Michael. Good to be here. So, so Tom, I think everybody knows of NPR. I know for myself, it's very exciting because, of course, I've been an NPR listener since I was a kid. Uh, so, but tell us about NPR. It must be it must be interesting and must be fun to work there. It's quite a place. It is. Uh, this is a it happens that this is a, a sort of a red letter anniversary. Um, 2017 is actually the 50th anniversary of the signing of the Public Broadcasting Act in 1967. That was the date on which Lyndon Johnson uh, signed into existence what effectively became the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, which is the government entity that funds PBS, NPR, the interconnect interconnection systems that support public broadcasting. But that was the moment at which, you know, uh, the sequence of events started that led to the creation of NPR. Uh, formerly, NPR was created back in 1970. But uh, this 50th anniversary puts us in a very reflective, celebratory, stock-taking frame of mind as we look back at what's been accomplished in these two generations, where we've come, where we are, where we're going. So uh, that coupled with, you know, the audience success of what NPR and public radio are doing today. Ratings are at all-time highs in terms of broadcast, particularly for the, uh, the tentpole news magazine shows, Morning Edition, All Things Considered. Um, On-demand podcast listening is at all-time highs. That market is really on fire. The audience has been growing and growing exponentially over the last couple of years, and public radio is topping those charts. Uh, in these times, the role of journalism and commentary on what's an incre increasingly, incredibly dynamic news marketplace, that is also more important than ever. So that our journalistic um, output is getting more attention and a bigger audience than ever. Um, and, you know, the role of something like public radio, which is in that tier of public goods, public trusts, that is so important to society and that reflects society back to itself. You know, our role in civic dialogue, in convening conversations, in trying to find the through lines that connect red states, blue states, the issues of the day, uh, the conversation of the hour, that is a role that we've always played, but that's becoming more important as well. So these are really exciting times, heady times, challenging times. Um, but we are really on top of our game. So it's a very exciting time to be here, as you say. So Tom, you're the chief digital officer and congratulations, you recently won the chief digital officer of the year 
Award. So congratulations on that. What does a chief digital officer at NPR do? Well, I, I, I would unpack that question to talk about uh, you know, there's the there's the letter of what I do, the letter of my responsibilities, and then there's the spirit of what I'm here to do. So, uh, starting with the letter and and my explicit job description. Well, there is a team, a digital team that is directly responsible to me, accountable to me. It's about all in about 85 people, most of them based here in Washington, uh, with a few spread out working remotely. But this is a team of product managers, product directors, uh, technologists, uh, programmers and developers, front end, back end, QA, systems engineers, uh, design, design thinkers, as well as designers, interaction designers, project managers. All of those functions uh, roll up into the digital media group that reports up to me. So I'm responsible for running that team, uh, managing their output, the execution of what they do on a regular basis. The output of what they do, by the way, includes things like running NPR.org, the NPR One mobile app, uh, the NPR News mobile app, our various relationships with third-party platforms, uh, whether it's the Apples, Googles, Amazons, etc. And working very closely with our uh, many partners across the organization, our news department, our marketing group, our business development team, our fundraising teams, operations, legal, all those guys. So I, I'm effectively, that is my, my corporate role is to manage those, uh, this division. You mentioned design thinking. And how does that fit in? That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, Look, I've been working in digital media for some time now, uh, and I'd say the the art and the craft and the process of digital work, that's that's an evolving story. It's an evolving narrative. And, uh, you know, the, be- the methods, the best practices for how we identify what is the opportunity that we really want to explore. What is the need of the end user? What is our customer want? Uh, and where are where is the you know, where is technology going? Where is the audience going? That, that in itself, just identifying uh, where the audience is, where the audience is going, where, what is our place in, in an increasingly crowded marketplace, and then how do we mobilize our team and to explore those opportunities as effectively, as efficiently, as thoroughly as possible. This is, a, a, as I say, a kind of ongoing narrative that's always being written and rewritten. Um, we are a lean shop, and so our, our development team subscribes to lean principles. But we also, as I said, have a really first-class design team. And so in this kind of constant state of of self-evaluation and reinterpretation of what we're doing and how we do it, I'm also really always very interested in exploring new technologies, new methods of doing our work. So design thinking, particularly thinking about the the needs of the end user and following the story of where they are, where they're going, and how we can design our products and, uh, and our platforms to meet them accordingly. Uh, that is, as you probably know, and as your listeners probably know, there's a, there's a pretty intricate science to the methods of design thinking. That is something that we're also exploring as well. So I, I guess to, to, to summarize, uh, part of the mission of this team is to be thinking about and working on a regular basis about the development of products and platforms that will, again, meet the, the user, the listener, the viewer, the reader, wherever they are going, to anticipate and then to build and innovate accordingly. 
but it's also to be challenging ourselves and by extension, even challenging the organization uh, around a different set of, uh, or different ways of thinking about the audience and different ways of organizing our workflows in order to meet the needs of this, again, increasingly dynamic marketplace. So it sounds like this in a way gets right to the heart of what's happening in media today, because you're talking about telling stories, but doing it and using technologies and using approaches that the listener can relate to. And so maybe link this into what's going on with media in general and the transformation that's taking place. Maybe I'll start by telling a little bit about my backstory. So uh, I've been working in digital media in one form or another for a little over 20 years now, which makes me a veteran, if not a fossil. Uh, that, that's a couple of generations of digital you know, activity, work, um, evolution. And all of my career has been spent working in what might be termed legacy media companies that have recognized that changes are a coming and have recognized the need to adapt to those changes. So I spent many years, for example, working at NBC, first at NBC Entertainment in Burbank on the West Coast, and then more recently, uh, NBC News, or local news, I should say, based in New York. In between, I worked for AOL, which uh, could be considered at this point as sort of a legacy media company, which uh, was built on a sort of dial-up ISP business. When I was there more than 10 years ago now, I was working for AOL for broadband, which was an effort to reorient the company uh, to change and adapt to you know, the, the broad, what was then the broadband revolution, taking the organization past that dial-up ISP legacy business and adapting to changing times and you know, a, a be everywhere, always on uh, some capability in terms of the digital marketplace. And in between, I worked for a couple of startups in Hollywood and so forth. In other words, my, my whole career has been built around working within existing media companies that made their bones uh, whether in television or radio or internet 1.0, and working with the assets that they had built up in that first generation and trying to rethink how they those assets can be reimagined, repurposed, reinterpreted uh, in new forms that match or map to the changing behaviors of, of new listeners, viewers, what have you. Um, and so... At NBC, for example, and we're now going back almost 20 years, but uh, back in the late 90s, when I was with NBC Entertainment, I was running NBC.com. And part of our goal was to take the riches of, NP of NBC's programming, and NBC at the time was the number one network with Friends and Seinfeld and ER and all those shows, and to work with uh, producers of NBC shows and almost reimagine or extend the stories, the premise, the content of what they were doing on air for online. So we created, for example, an online spinoff of a show, which many of you might remember, a great show called Homicide Life on the Street. And so we created a kind of online spinoff, an almost sequel or second, second um, uh, it was called Homicide Second Shift. It was actually an extension of the premise of homicide in new ways, telling stories online. So that was one way of thinking about capturing, you know, taking the essence of what we were doing really well in one, one medium and repurposing them, reimagining, reimagining them for the purposes of, of another medium. And fast forward to today, this is something that I think about and work on all the time here at NPR. So we produce programming. We've been doing that, as I said, for nearly 50 years now. We continue to do that and we continue to do that very successfully. On-air ratings 
again, are doing very, very well. The radio listening is still still very, very strong. That's still a very vital part of our business, very important way in which we reach our audience. You know, nearly 38 million people per month are listening to our uh, on-air broadcasting by, by way of our member uh, member stations. But part of my challenge is to think about, okay, we've got that great asset, the great stories, the great stock of content that we produce today and that we've been producing for some time. And how do we think about mapping that or re reimagining that in new ways for new audiences? So how so, do you, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but so how do you then take an existing set of assets and rethink it, reimagine it to fit the needs of different technology, different user expectations, different uh, different ages and backgrounds of users, and a different political climate. How do you rethink that? How do you do it? Well, from a product perspective, maybe this is the best example or the best where I would start is uh, we have a product called NPR One. And NPR One, a mobile app, it's available on iOS, it's available on Android. It was, it's been an experiment in taking our content and, and sort of slicing it and dicing it and atomizing it and making it in ways that are available to and conducive to the behaviors of the post-radio generation, if you will, right? So you and I grew up listening to the radio. We turned on the, turned on the knob and then, you know, the NPR member station did the rest of the work. They curated a fully programmed experience. Well, that still has, again, that still has a very solid, lively, vital, generous audience. So there's nothing wrong with that. And that's not going away anytime soon. But there's this new generation, we'll call it the Pandora generation, the Spotify generation, which comes to a listening experience expecting not just a fully curated lean back experience, but something that, or a product, an offering that knows who they are, or that enables them to customize, tailor the experience. So person, on, per personalized, personalized. Exactly. And so NPR One is an attempt to do that. It takes our core assets, the content, uh, specifically the, the spoken word content that comes out of, out of our news magazines. It marries that to that very special local national blend, that, that value proposition that ties the, the, the big national entity of NPR to your local member station, which is the main outlet for uh, distribution of that NPR content. It takes that national local value proposition, reinterprets that. And again, if you download NPR One, it is going to localize you to your local member station, be that WNYC in New York or you know, uh, Abilene Public Radio in, in Abilene, wherever you happen to be, it will uh, send you to that local brand, which is then the, the programmer of that localized, personalized experience. And so uh, it also enables us to take our membership model, which again is a very core part of our, our economy. That's part of the basic uh, essential element of our business model. And NPR One enables us to cultivate membership in new ways. Again, membership historically has been driven by the pledge drive. You, you turn on, in fact, this very week, many stations are having pledge drives. You'll turn on your local NPR member station and there is an ongoing uh, appeal for uh, individual membership. Well, that works. That's worked for many years now. But as the audience gradually migrates online and as, as digital becomes, whether it's through apps, websites, smart speakers, what have you, as that becomes an increasingly uh, central access point to public radio and public media, uh, that invites us or forces us, challenges us to think in different ways about membership. And so NPR One has an interesting approach toward membership, personalization, uh, building the affinity and uh, engaging the audience in new ways that hopefully will 
encourage their loyalty and their generosity in ways that broadcast and the pledge drive have done so successfully for generations. So to put it, uh, try to summarize, uh, for me, transformation and uh, dealing with disruption, uh, job one is not to panic. at the velocity of change and the the you know the the brave new world of digital uh, disruption and, and challenge in technology, but instead to actually retreat, look into your own corporate soul, understand what it is that differentiated you in the first place, and to reinterpret those core values, those raw assets, and try to find ways to rechannel them, reimagine them, repackage them in ways that uh, suit new technologies and new behaviors. That's what we tried to do at NBC 20 years ago. It's what we're trying to do in public radio today. So I love that. I love that notion of uh, face disruption by number one, don't panic. And then number two, retreat into your corporate soul, which is another way of saying, really understand what differentiates you, what makes you unique. But that's for an established organization, that's hard. It's not easy, but it's a great challenge. And then look, I count my blessings every day that I come to work at NPR because what we do is so important. The quality of what we do, I think is so great. And it has been for so long. The assets, the treasure that we have to work with is really, you know, to bask in my own glow here for a moment, the, the, my coming to NPR for me has been the summit of my career because I am at at a place where I've been able to take the learnings that I, acquired back at NBC or AOL or in the earlier chapters of my career, and now apply it to something that I believe is great and greatly important. So um, it is hard. It is hard, but it's a it's a great challenge. And fortunately, where I am today, and, and I've been fortunate in previous chapters of my career to have a similar uh, situation, I have the support of those around me, my peers, certainly my boss, our CEO, Jarl Mohn, could not be more supportive of the mission, the, this journey that we're on to, again, stay true to who we are, but uh, challenge ourselves and you know look beyond uh, the current day to when the landscape will be very, very different. And so uh, we also have a great brand to work with. We have, um, I, I spend any number of work days per week, uh, not just working internally with my team and with my my uh, peers within the organization, but also working with third-party platforms who are very eager to work with NPR because of the brand, because of the audience that we bring, and because of the content that we offer and the way that we offer it. So uh, f- I feel very fortunate in that you know the, the buffet of, of offerings on the table here is really very tasty. Now, we need to be very careful about how we put that together and what, what menu we construct and what the, how we, we stir it all up. Um, but uh, as a starting place, we're in a very, very fortunate position. So the mission for you drives everything, it sounds it like. Yeah, it really does. Um, I, I mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, this we're in a celebratory mode these days because of the 50th anniversary of the Public Broadcasting Act and the coming 50th anniversary of NPR. Uh, there's, I have in front of me a, a mission statement that was drafted back in 1970 by a fellow named Bill Simmering, who's still very much with us. And he drafted a sort of charter of what, what national public radio should be. And uh, 
I won't read the whole thing, but he said, National Public Radio will serve the individual. It will promote personal growth. It will regard individual differences with respect and joy rather than derision and hate. It will celebrate the human existence as infinitely varied rather than vacuous and banal. It will encourage a sense of active, constructive participation rather than apathetic helplessness. Well, those words still ring true. And uh, just last week, for example, I was in a board meeting here and we were talking about our strategic plan and these very words from Bill Simmering from 47 years ago were projected, they still are our North Star. And so we still abide by these principles. Obviously the world is a very different place. Uh, the programming format that Bill uh, rolled out back in 1970, well, it's changed. Uh, I mean, but Morning Edition, all things considered, the shows that he helped uh, incubate, those are still very much around. But I mean, he was not anticipating the internet necessarily or smart speakers or uh, you know, the internet of things or connected refrigerators or what have you. But again, if we stay true to those values uh, and but then take a sort of free, imaginative, around the corner, entrepreneurial view of where the marketplace is going, what I find is that we can connect those dots very, very nicely. I would say, you know, when I look into my corporate soul, uh, you know, the when I think about the quality of our journalism, as we've been talking about, number two, the that national local value proposition that we have. NPR is a, you know, I'm sitting here at 1111 North Capitol in Washington. We have a newsroom with about 400 uh, journalists downstairs. I mean, this is the headquarters. This is the hub, the national hub of our national content apparatus. But, and yet we have 263 member stations out there, which are effectively 263 local bureaus. And so that idea of a, of a distributed a journalistic network, that's something that is a great asset to us, and it's something that we are trying to leverage and capitalize on more and more. So that too, that's a, that's another great asset. Thirdly, uh, again, membership, which I'm happy to talk more about, but membership, the idea of individual pledge and support for what we do. When you think about it, we are the, you know, we, we invented crowdfunding in a way. And if you talk to somebody from Kickstarter or Patreon, they will often tell you, you know, I got my idea for Kickstarter or Patreon from, among other things, public radio. You've been doing crowdfunding for generations now. And so we invented, in a sense, that idea of crowdfunding. Uh, that is an important part of our economy. It's also something that really sort of strengthens that compact that we have with our audience. The fact that they are giving, supporting us financially, they're, they're not paying for something, they're, they're giving. And that's an important distinction, but it's that I think is part of the glue that really cements our place in public discourse, I would like to think. So you think about that, you know, take those assets and tie them to where innovation, investment, digital opportunity is, and you see a nice, a nice through line. So a few things here. Uh, first, I don't want to, just on the value of NPR, and I don't want to politicize this, but we are also in an age where we need media outlets that we can trust. And certainly, personally, NPR is that. And on the subject of inventing crowdfunding, I mean, our business model for CXO Talk, we do not charge people to be on the show. And you can't pay us to be on the show. People offer us money. We turn it down. And we don't charge people to watch the show. And so NPR has been the model. We have some comments from Twitter. Uh, first off, uh, Jen Phillips uh, says, thank you for uh, bringing you, Tom Yelm, to talk shop and using and your thoughts on using media powers for good. And so, Jen, thank you so much for, for watching. And we have a question from Sal Rasa, 
who is asking, and I just lost his question. He's asking about uh, radio. He's saying radio has always been a hub of communication. And how, how does radio fit in today's digital network world, which also addresses uh, at the same time a question that I wanted to ask you, which is more fundamental, what is radio today? has nothing to do with the airwaves, right? Alone, it's not about the airwaves anymore. What is radio anyways? That is a good question. The way, just to abstract things, maybe a little too far, but the, there's, instead of thinking about radio, uh, I think about a kind of continuum of curation, if you will. So in other words, you have an, you have, lean back experiences and you have very lean in experiences, right? So radio is the ultimate lean back experience. You turn on the knob and then we do the rest, right? Uh, we've been doing that expertly and that still has a very vital place in the media marketplace. Again, I would just want to emphasize radio, unlike say newspapers or other media has not fallen off a cliff, far from it. Morning edition, all things considered, all time highs. Those are the two most popular or most listened to uh, talk radio shows anywhere. Uh, but the, get back to your question. So, so there is a place for, and there's a value in that fully curated experience, which today is essentially radio, but more and more, uh, if you look at the analytics for uh, websites across the public radio system, if you, I used to work at WNYC, for example, and I looked very closely at the analytics and what are people doing when they go to WNYC.org or using the WNYC app? Uh, and in my time there, the number one behavior was to hit listen live. So people were essentially using the website, the app, what have you, as essentially a radio, a fully curated experience. And then they would do whatever they were doing, cooking, working, what have you. Okay, so that's, that's one extreme. And that's something that we continue, I think, to have a very strong place in. Opposite extreme is roll your own, find your own show, your own segment, your own podcast, and so we are competing in that marketplace as well. So we produce podcasts out of NPR. We produce any number of podcasts. We're, you know, we are, by a wide margin, the number one producer of on-demand audio. The number two producer is WNYC. The number three producer is Ira Glass. Again, public radio is top in the charts here when it comes to podcasts. Most of those podcasts are being listened to on third-party platforms. Maybe that's the podcast app on Apple. Maybe it's Overcast or Pocket Casts or your name, your favorite podcast app. Uh, but essentially people are finding and curating their own experiences, you know, based on podcasts that they've heard about or been recommended that have been recommended. Uh, so that's the almost op opposite extreme, right? The fully self curated listening experience. That's another part of this landscape that we are exploring. And then again, visualize this sort of continuum curated to uncurated in the middle. That's where NPR one lives. Uh, one example, that is a curated and yet personalized experience. So if you want to listen to NPR One, we will give you a sort of stream of segments and podcasts. And the more you use it, the better we get to know you. And the more we will tailor that experience, the, the, the sequence, the topics, the nature of the segments that we're delivering to you based on your interests, your location, uh, what you like, what you don't like. And so it, it's finding the middle ground, the white space, between the fully curated, the fully uncurated. And so uh, as, a, as a radio or an audio first, not only not audio only, but audio first organization, 
we have to and are eagerly exploring that entire spectrum. So radio is still going strong. We're all about podcasts, but we're also very interested in exploring this this in between zone of the you know the next generation, the personalized uh, radio listening experience that I was describing earlier. So radio per se then becomes one product for back, lack of a better word, or or maybe it's better to say one channel yeah. through which you distribute your content. But ultimately, it links back to the mission, and the mission then drives the type of content, and then the distribution channels for that content are another layer on top of it. Is that a, is that a good way to look at it, the correct? That's a good way to look at it. That's, that's absolutely right. Um, we are mission-driven, and I do want to emphasize that. We are also a business. I mean, in the sense, we're a nonprofit, but we are also very assertively um, exploring new revenue opportunities. So we talked about membership earlier. Uh, there's also sponsorship. And so our sponsorship business, corporate sponsorships, uh, has been going uh, very well over the last couple of years, particularly driven by the podcast market. So we do have a sales team, which is selling sponsorships that are integrated into our podcasts. And then uh, another part of our business model has to do with major philanthropy, foundations, some degree of government funding as well. So uh, I don't want to just suggest that we're in this kind of blissy space where we don't have to think about money at all. We're just driven by the mission. That certainly informs what we do. It's it's the reason ultimately so many people are here, uh, but we do need to keep a, uh, an eye on the bottom line and just how we are funding our operations. And so is how do you manage then that tension between the mission-driven aspects of what you do and the, the basic reality that if you don't have funding, you don't have a building and you don't have a studio and distribution and all the things that, that you need. Tension. I, I don't sense a lot of tension here. Uh, the, look, we have a terrific sales team who are very, very enterprising and aggressive and are, and I've spent a lot of time with these folks. They're thinking always around how to monetize our content in the best way possible. But there's not a mercenary aspect to this place. And unlike other commercial places where I've worked, I never had the feeling that I am essentially working for the sponsorship team. They are working very much with us. And uh, the, the, the groups that are selling sponsorships, they too are here for the mission or the quality of what we do, the quality of our audience. They're looking at it through a different lens, but it's not like uh, there's this urge within the organization to sell out or go commercial or compromise our editorial or mission values just to chase after a dollar. That really doesn't happen here. Um, there is, uh, if, there's, if there's tension, it's, it's, it's a healthy tension. Uh, one that keeps the mission orientation that is so inherent in the organization tied to the reality of what the marketplace is. Uh, but the mission also tempers whatever instinct there might be, and I don't think there is one, to, uh, again, just sort of go wherever the, the sponsorship dollars are being waved at us. So there's a, there's a healthy balance there. I wouldn't call it attention, but a balance. That's really quite extraordinary and probably is one of the key factors. I'm speculating here, but it's probably, I'm thinking, is one of the key factors that has enabled NPR to remain uh, durable through these decades where there's been so much change, so much upheaval, and, and so much pressure to, uh, you know, just to 
just in, in, in our commercial world, so much pressure to, you know, conform to the, to, to place the business dimensions first above the editorial. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Uh, to look at it in another way, maybe a more tactile way, we have I mean, part of our success and part of our endurance, as, as you say, has to do with our having multiple revenue streams. We're not dependent on one business model versus another. So NPR, I believe in the current fiscal year, about 30% of our revenue is coming through sponsorship. About 40% of our revenue is coming from uh, via station fees, mainly uh, you know, the licensing of our news magazines and other shows that we make available to uh, public radio stations across the country. And then 15% thereabouts, or a little bit north of that, comes from grants, from uh, contributions, philanthropy foundations. Uh, so there's a pretty healthy mix there. And by the way, you know, our, our goal for grants and contributions and development, we're investing in that pretty significantly. So I expect even greater parity going forward among those three main revenue streams of sponsorship, station fees, and, uh, and foundations and grants. Um, and that's almost a mirror of what you would find at the station level in the sense that for the typical station, um, maybe 35 to 40% of their revenue comes from individual membership, uh, roughly 20% thereabouts from corporate sponsorship. Again, that's going to vary very much from market to market. You have some huge markets, you have some very, very small ones, but it's a general rule of thumb, uh, maybe 40% for membership, 20% for uh, a corporate sponsorship and the rest from any, a mix of maybe local government, from university fees, from uh, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. But even there, and I'm not trying to gloss over the fact that some stations are truly challenged in terms of uh, of their revenue models going forward, but because there, there are some tight times out there. But uh, in general, we have a pretty diversified uh, set of revenue streams that have en enabled us to weather uh, some some high times and low times. Now, what about the element of community? How do you think about that? That's another one of those dimensions in, in today's, uh, say, distribution landscape, distribution of products and services and audio and video. What about community? How do you think about that? Yeah, so uh, community can mean many things. Um, the way my first definition uh, of the many definitions of community has to do with the community of stations. So just to backtrack to my own autobiography for a second, I came here to NPR about a year and a half ago from New York Public Radio. And I'd spent a little over five years as the chief digital officer for New York Public Radio. New York Public Radio comprises multiple businesses, WNYC, which is the, the largest uh, NPR member station in the land, WQXR, which is a classical station, WNYC Studios, which uh, produces Radio Lab, Freakonomics, Radio, New Yorker Radio Hour, et cetera. Um, but essentially, I was coming from a quote unquote local member station crossing the aisle to NPR. And part of the reason, after a lot of thought, that I agreed to do this and take this job was because I believe in my bones in the power of the network. That is to say, the collective power and value in NPR as the centerpiece of a very broad distributed community of local radio stations and local producers across the land. And I will say that in all candor, from a digital perspective, the value of that network has not always been fully realized or capitalized on. Um, NPR over the last generation or so 
has had a very strong digital strategy. It's been building out its digital scale. The audiences for NPR.org, NPR One, the NPR News app, the NPR social channels are pretty big, pretty impressive. Um, but they have been built without necessarily the station expression being fully woven into them. In other words, NPR, to put it bluntly, NPR has had a digital strategy, but the stations, 200 plus of them, have been more or less left to their own devices. And so we have a multiplicity of digital strategies, digital platforms uh, across the system, which adds up to number one, a not fully coherent user experience. What is NPR.org for relative to name your local website for your, your uh, local member station uh, I mean, or apps? I mean, it's just a big, busy constellation of, of digital products for local stations, national producers, uh, NPR, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's not necessarily a collective strategy. Um, so there's a lot of duplication from a user experience perspective, and there hasn't necessarily been a, a coherent uh, strategy for how these pieces interlock and how we are driving the audience or building the audience, following the audience across this ecosystem. In other words, uh, part of my strategy, really job one for me, has been to try to take the measure of all the activity and all the innovation and growth and investment that's happening across this very distributed system and try to come up with ways in which we can think more coherently and more as a collective. One of the geniuses of public radio is the fact that it is so distributed, that you've got local voices, local talent, local stories being told uh, across, you know, whether you're in Maine or Alaska or you know, Kansas City. That's great. And uh, that's really, really important to, again, the fabric of the media society. Um, but there's also something to be said for collective thinking and for coordinated investment and innovation. And so uh, the fact that I came from you know, the station side of the aisle, I think gives me some advantages or some perspectives in how NPR and stations might work together in a smarter way to think of itself as uh, a digital network. And by the way, my compatriots on the journalistic side are thinking very similar thoughts. Uh, our senior director, our senior vice president of news, Mike Oreskes, my colleague, he came from the AP. So he's all about, it's in his bloodstream, the idea of a national local news network. Again, the national hub and all these newsrooms across the country and around the world for that matter. Uh, my boss, Yarl Mohn, has been one of his main strategic focuses is a collaborative fundraising. How might he link arms with the senior folks, development folks, general managers of local stations, and together raise funds for public radio, uh, leveraging the national brand and local philanthropy, local foundations, et cetera. So again, there's a, there's a new generation of leadership here that really is about doubling down on that sense of network. And that hasn't necessarily been a strong focus for us in the past. When you ask about community, that's that's where I go. Yeah, it makes sense. And certainly as uh, there's greater personalization, people feel that more intimate connection to the content and may then want to start exploring that content and exploring other people who are interested in that content at the same time. Yeah, that, that last piece is really, really key. Um, the One of the things that always blows me away, whenever I go to some public radio convening, but particularly a, a live event of some kind, the the love, the, it's almost palpable sense of love that the audience has for whoever's on the stage, be that Ira Glass or uh, a local host, 
it's uh, it, it fills the room, the, the love from the audience to the to the, the talent, but the the love in the room, the affin- the incredible affinity that public radio people have for one another, the audiences have for one another. That too, that's part of the really strong connective tissue that I think makes public radio special. The the to- we joke about the tote bag being, you know, the more often than not, that's the premium that one gets uh, for becoming a, a subscriber or a member of a local radio station. The tote bag, though, when you think about it, that is the badge that you know you wear that at your side. You are proud to be a supporter of WNYC or name your station, and it identifies you as you know a smart, informed, cool person. And by the way, if, if you <laughs> feel similarly, come up and uh, say hello. I know that it really is true. There are few commercial logos, maybe Apple, that inspires. Certainly, for me, I mean, I'm just tickled pink that, you know, I'm talking with you and you've got those NPR logos to your side. So, so what's, uh, what's next for NPR and how, what's, where, where are you going with, with all of this personalization and community and all the things that you've just been discussing? First of all, we're in a good place. I'll just start with the present day. Uh, again, I've been said a couple of times now just how strong the ratings picture is. Uh, and that's something we take very seriously. We also we're just about at the tag end of our current fiscal year. This has been a very solid year for us financially, and the sponsorship market again has been a main driver, one of the principal drivers of our financial security over the last year. In the past, I will again, in all candor, point out that NPR has not always run the tightest financial ship. Um, there have been a few occasions in the last several years where NPR had some budget problems. There was even a catastrophe more than a generation ago when NPR almost went belly up and the stations came in and bailed it out. So that's a distant past, and yet it's something that we uh, still keep in mind as a kind of cautionary tale. But we have our, our financial house in order. The audience is very strong. The brand, as you point out, is incredibly strong. There was just a fast company survey that came out recently identifying the 25 strongest brands or... People like you a lot. People like us a lot. That's right. And we were the only, uh, of the top 25, we were the only media brand, the only nonprofit brand. So that that brand does mean a, a great deal. My point, though, is that we have, from my perspective, we have a, a pretty solid runway. But um, that gives us the opportunity, again, to my earlier point, not to panic, but we definitely need to be thinking ahead. But right now, we're in a secure place and we have a certain amount of latitude to experiment with new forms of content production, finding new voices, distributing uh, via new channels, experimenting. And experimentation, uh, part of my role as I see it, is to really encourage that sense of trial, error, failing fast, uh, all the good uh, mantras that one hears from a digital leader. That's that's part of what I want to try to bring to the culture. Um, what else is next? Well, you know, we're all about smart speakers these days. Uh, you know, a year ago, we're, had we been having this conversation, we probably wouldn't be talking too much about it. But in the last year, you know, the uh, Alexa, uh, the phenomenon of uh, how successful Alexa has been and Google Home and Apple has announced uh, similar entrees into the smart speaker space. That is something that I'm really excited by and excited about. And that too, just going back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, sort of looking at what are your core assets and how they, might they be reinterpreted, reimagined for new contexts. When you think about it, you know, the smart speaker, the voice activated device, I can't think of another technology innovation that's come across 
my plate in the last five or 10 years that is better suited or speaks right to our strength. Conversation, that's what we do. And that's what we've been doing since day one. Call and response, uh, you know, rendered communication. That is right in the heart of uh, the value proposition of public radio. And it's very much what the folks at Alexa and Google and Apple and others are thinking about as well. Um, also, you know, when you think about it, uh, the the news, the, the voices of NPR or of your local member station, they are news deliverers, but they're also companions. They're concierges through the course of the day. I, when I worked at WNYC, I was always getting, seeing these, these mail or testimonials from listeners saying that, you know, WNYC is the soundtrack to my day. Satirius Johnson, who back in the day was the morning host, he is my buddy. He's the guy I wake up to. He tells me the weather, the traffic, the headlines. He is almost in the room with me. He's a companion. And I think that sense of companionship is also in the DNA of public radio. It's in the DNA of Alexa. Surely there are ways for us to think together about that. When you, when you come to visit here at the NPR headquarters in Washington, you step into the elevator and you push the button, it's the voice of Susan Stamberg who says, you know, fourth floor news or seventh floor legal or what have you. Uh, that, that sense of not just the, the source of the headlines, but the, the friendly companion, the voice in your ear, that is something I think that's special. That's in the mojo of public radio. And I'd like to explore ways in which that value could also be translated for what is an increasingly voice activated smart world. Okay. Well, this has been a very fast 45 minutes. 45 minutes. Thomas Yelm, Chief Digital Officer of National Public Radio, NPR. Thank you so much for taking this time and being with us today. It is my pleasure. Everybody, you have been watching episode number 254 of CXO Talk. Please like us on Facebook and subscribe on YouTube. And we have great shows coming up and we will see you again next time. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.